Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Nice to have you with us, and what a sporting weekend it promises to be. Let us start with something we don't often talk about, although we on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room have previously spoken about what, I guess, in some instances might be regarded as a Cinderella sport. Well, I can tell you right now, there's absolutely nothing Cinderella about the UFC. And uh, Drikas, our own Duplessis, will fight Sean Strickland for the UFC middleweight championship of the world on the 20th of uh, January in the early hours of the morning. And uh, we look forward to that here in South Africa. It is highly anticipated. The UFC is the ultimate fighting championship. The bout between the South African and the middleweight champion, Storm Strickland of America. Tensions have gone even way more as the two fighters look to settle their differences. It's at UFC 297. Shows you how long they've gone. Duplessis and Strickland have been going back and forth in verbal attacks, culminating in an all-out brawl. On the 17th of December last year at UFC 296, uh, Strickland leapt over chairs to attack Duplessis, claiming the South African had touched a nerve when he spoke and referred to Strickland's unsettling and traumatic upbringing at UFC 297's kickoff press conference today earlier. Strickland said on his podcast, Remember when I attacked Drickus? I sent him a message. I was like, dude, listen because you're not going to try to murder each other. But if you think that's beep up again, I will beep stab you. Anyway, the full incident uh, between the two of them will play out at the weekend. Duplessis, for his part, has moved on from both the uh, kickoff conference at UFC 297 and the attack at 296, saying his focus is wholly and fully on the upcoming fight. However, speaking on the MMA Hour, Duplessis said that he found it strange that Strickland could easily talk trash about his opponents, but couldn't handle it when it was handed out to him. And he also said he has no moral compass. Strickland and Duplessis have since been cleared over Duplessis' childhood comments, with the South African now fully focused on the fight for that UFC middleweight championship. It is uh, one of the biggest fights in South African history in terms of the UFC. In fact, it is the biggest fight, I guess, in South African uh, UFC history. And uh, the emotional vulnerability of Strickland can most probably be to find uh, Drikas' advantage, as it could blind the American with rage and anger once he steps into the octagon. South African fighter has been working hard to get into shape for the bouts with the psychological games now. In the rearview mirror, fortunately for Duplessis, he has only one thing on his mind going into the biggest fight of his career. And even if he comes guns blazing, who knows, that might be an opportunity for him. It happens at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto in Canada on Saturday, the 20th of January, which is Sunday morning, South African time, 5 a.m. If you want to wake up and watch that, I'm not sure if the main fight's at 5 a.m. or that's when the bull starts because this will most probably be the main fight of the evening. Right, let's have a look, uh, shall we, at uh, some of the other action that's going on over the weekend. And it's been a very, very interesting week so far at the Australian Open. Igor Sviatek admitted she was mentally at the airport before staging an astonishing comeback against Daniela Collins to stay alive in the Australian Open as Carlos Alcaraz returned to action. The Polish world number one was a setup and a breakup in her second round match before faltering badly and slipping to 1-4 in the deciding set. But as she appeared to be heading home, she reeled off five straight games to win 6-4, 3-6, 6-4 
and extend her current winning run to 18 matches. She joked afterwards saying, oh my God, I was at the airport already. She has never won the Australian Open. It's surface that she's not bad on, but never come to win. On a dramatic day at Melbourne Park, Alexander Zverev and Kasparud were pushed to the brink before they both came through their matches in fifth set tiebreakers. Facing a consecutive second round exit in Melbourne, Germany's Zverev came back to win 7-5-3-6-4-6-7-5 and 7-6 after a gripping contest lasting four and a half hours on the Margaret Court Arena. It was a similar story for the three-time Grand Slam finalist Kasper Rudd. He was taken to a deciding set by Australia's Max Purcell. He won that final set 10-7 in the tiebreak. The Norwegian next meets the 19th seeded Cameron Norrie, who came back from two sets down to beat the Italian qualifier, Giulio Zeppieri. And of course, uh, the big attraction is the world number one, Novak Djokovic. The two-time Grand Slam champion is in action. Of course, um, he will be looking for that final berth and his uh, 11th Open uh, win in Melbourne. But here's a nice little story for you. Djokovic has been credited as having had a series of unusual methods that help him to become one of the greatest tennis players in the world, not least his 15-year special relationship, and I'm not making this up, I promise you, with a Melbourne tree. That's right, T-R-E-E, tree. The world number one, who swears by a plant-based diet, extols the virtues of meditation and has previously used a spiritual guru and has never been shy of talking about his eccentricities. As he targets his unprecedented 11th Open title, he said he's been connecting with his old friend, a Melbourne fig tree in the city's Royal Botanic Gardens that he likes to hug and climb. It is true, he said, there's one particular tree that I've been having a special relationship with to say in the last 15 years. I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry, Novak, I know you're a joker. But come on, how can you walk into the Melbourne Botanical Gardens and go and hug and climb a tree? Well, I guess if you're the world number one and you've won the Australian Open 10 times before, I suppose you are able to do that. Um, previously, you spoke about using hyperbaric oxygen chambers and healing pyramids while meditating with Spanish guru Pepe Imaz, a former journeyman player who extols a love and peace philosophy. The 36-year-old also dabbled in various diets, including gluten-free and dairy-free, and is now a proud plant-based athlete, the subject of a Netflix documentary, The Game Changers, for which he was the executive producer. He's also known for his humanitarian work as well as his sporting prowesses. Djokovic also made headlines after claiming it was possible to alter the composition of water and food through the power of positive thinking, a vaccine skeptic, a stance that led to his deportation from Melbourne ahead of the 2022 Australian Open during the COVID pandemic. I don't know. You read into it what you want. Listen, he's a fantastic tennis player. He's got a great sense of humor. I don't know if it's all of this is true or not. And if it is, well, each one to their own. So it continues, of course, does the Australian Open Tennis Championship over the weekend. We'll bring you all the results on Monday. Let you know what's gone on, who's won, who's there, who's got knocked out, and who will be there going forward. Right, let's turn our attention from tennis, which, by the way, did you know that they use over 48,000 tennis balls during the two weeks and one day? of the Australian Open, 48,000. You know what they do with them afterwards? They sell them. Yes, you can buy a ball at the courts if you want from one of the matches. You can buy that ball, take it home, throw it around, throw your dog, cut it in half, put it under your chairs at home, 
so that they don't slide on your floors. Okay, that's enough of my Pinterest for you. Right, let's talk rugby now. And the EPCR Challenge Cup action tonight sees Gloucester against Castre Olympique and Clinethley Scarlets take on Edinburgh. Both those games start at 10 o'clock. And in the Champions Cup, also two games tonight, Glasgow Warriors take on Toulon, while Connacht take on the Bristol Bears. And then tomorrow, early start for the EPCR Challenge at 3 o'clock, where Black Lions take on Clement, Section Paloui take on Zebras. Orionox take on the Cheetahs of South Africa and Benetton play Montpellier. And then in the Champions Cup, Harlequins play Ulster at three. The Bulls of South Africa are at home at Loftus against Union Bordeaux Beagles. That game at three o'clock as well. They're at Racing 92 with Sia Colise. play Cardiff at quarter past five. As do the Leicester Tigers. They play Leinster. That should be a crackerjack game. Start Francais take on the Stormers at half seven. Big game for the Stormers. Munster against Northampton Saints and Saracens against Lyonnais. That takes place at 10 o'clock, the last game on Saturday evening. And then on Sunday, the Lions of South Africa play Ospreys at uh, Ellis Park. The uh, USA Papillon take on the Newcastle Falcons at three. And the Dragons play the Sharks from South Africa at half past seven. And in the Champions Cup, the Sales Sharks play La Rochelle at three o'clock Sunday afternoon. Start Toulousan take on Bath at quarter past five. And Bayonet take on the Exeter Chiefs at half past seven. Let's have a look then, shall we, um, at uh, some of those results from last weekend that we should uh, be interested in. One of them being the one that uh, Bordeaux Beagles beating Saracens 55-15 and Leicester Tigers being beaten 45-12. Racing 92 also beaten by Bath 29-25 and the Cheetahs lost at home to Section Poloise, uh 33 points to 20 so uh, lots of action going on in those tournaments as well okay there's also lots of cricket coming up over the uh, next couple of days of course the action thick and fast in the betway sa 20 competition as we speak tonight there is a game underway between the MI Cape Town, that's the Mumbai Indians Cape Town, against the Paul Royals. That is a massive derby. The Paul Royals have been incredible over the last couple of uh, days or so, doing exceptionally well under the inspirational leadership of David Miller. And as you know, due to load shedding in South Africa, for those of you who don't know what load shedding is, we only have electricity for certain hours of the day here in South Africa. Well, today, I don't know what happened because this program has been recorded, but the S under-19 team took on the West Indies in the ICC under-19 World Cup. Not too sure if there was any drama there, but there was a whole story about protests outside the ground and security reasons and the captaincy taken away from the South African captain due to his faith. Anyway, that's uh, underway. Under-19, Ireland play the United States. And then tomorrow, it's Pakistan against Afghanistan. Bangladesh play India. And Scotland play England. And then tomorrow, the Super Giants take on the Sunrisers Eastern Cape. Doubleheader tomorrow. And the Joburg Super Kings take on the Pretoria Capitals. On Sunday, it's New Zealand against Pakistan in the 50 Internationals. And Barbary's women play the Irish women. That's... Um, the Irish team touring Zimbabwe and the under-19 World Cup sees Sri Lanka play Zimbabwe and New Zealand play Nepal while on the cricket fields. It's a reverse of the Friday night fixture. The Paul Royals at home in Paul 
take on MI Cape Town. So just a reverse of the Friday fixture. I guess the players will be delighted. They don't have to travel too far. For those of you who don't know, it's about 40 kilometers up the road from Newlands to the Borland of Oval, where the Paul Royals play. And then Monday, Bangladesh play Ireland and Australia play Namibia. That's to wrap up the first round of matches in the ICC Under-19 competition. Now, as far as the cricket is concerned, of course, there was one match that uh, was concluded last night, so the log position might be slightly changed. Um, But the big news is that Australia's World Cup winner, Marcus Stoinis, has joined the Durban Supergiants. The destructive all-rounder replaces the West Indian Nicholas Puran, who has left. That is fantastic news if you are a supporter of the Durban side. Uh, he'll be here for the remainder of the tournament. The uh, destructive all-rounder bolsters the inform DSG squad, who are currently second on the table with three wins out of three. He's 34 years old, comes from Perth, and a veteran of 127 international matches across formats for Australia, and a further 250 T20 matches worth of experience. Stoinis also plays for the Indian Premier League outfit, the Lucknow Supergiants, the affiliate of the Durban Super Giants. Afghanistan's Navin Ulhaj has also linked up with the DSG squad ahead of their big clash against the Pretoria Capitals. He comes in for Richard Gleeson, bringing with him his vital T20 experience. So what do the, uh, the, the logs look like going into the Friday matches of the competition? Uh, let's uh, have a look for you, shall we? Um, it's the the Paul Royals, uh, who are doing brilliantly, played three, won three. They're in action tonight. Another win for them today. You could almost certainly say we'll guarantee them a place in the top four. The Super Giants have played three. They've also won three. They're both level on points, but the net run rate is uh, better for the Paul Royals. Sunrise's Eastern Cape, seven points behind already after their three matches. MI Cape Town have got five points from their three matches, a win and two losses. Both, incidentally, very close. One on the duck with Lewis and the other one at last ball loss in the match at Newlands the other night. And then the Joburg Super Kings have one win out of their four matches, three losses. And as far as the, in fact, no result, they haven't had a win yet, have the Jovic Super Kings under Faf Duplessis guidance. And then the Pretoria Capitals, well, they've played two, lost two. So there you go. That's the log situation as it stands at the moment in the SA20. Motorsport and the Dakar Rally continues on over the weekend. And Sebastian Loeb is moving to within striking distance of the leader, Carlos Sainz. That's the father of the racing driver, Formula One racing driver, as Ricky Brabeck tightened his grip on the bike standings. Loeb, who's the runner-up in the past two years, but still looking for his first victory, shaved a further seven minutes off Sainz's lead. That leaves him 13 minutes and 22 seconds behind after the penultimate stage. The 480-kilometer special stage from Al-Ula to Yambu on the Red Sea uh, will be a very, very grueling test for the riders today on the final day of the event. So, uh, unfortunately, one rider uh, unfortunately lost his life, a bike rider in the event, Spanish Spanish motorcyclist uh, Chol Falcon died a week after crashing in the rally in Saudi Arabia. A 45-year-old was flown in an induced coma to hospital in Riyadh and then back to Spain, uh, falling 448 kilometers into the second stage way back on the 7th of January. Very sad indeed, but the Dakar rally, first it was the uh, Dakar, then it was the Paris-Le Cap, who came to Cape Town one year, 
And then, of course, since then, it's just become the Dakar Rally, uh, raced mainly in and around Saudi Arabia, that area, uh, not from, from Paris to Dakar like it used to be. A very sad, uh, very dangerous event. Motorsport is inherently dangerous, but the Paris-Dakar is most probably one of the most dangerous of all of motorsports, I suppose, along with the Isle of Man TT or any TT where they race those motorbikes around the streets, road streets rather than even a course. Very dangerous indeed. Okay, let's turn our attention before we end this evening to football. Two massive uh, tournaments currently underway. Firstly, the African Cup of Nations and some of the results through the course of the week. One or two surprises. Uh, the biggest of them all, I guess, was Namibia beating Tunisia by a goal to nil. No surprise in South Africa losing. They can't score goals. They can't even score penalties in South Africa. They lost 2-0 to Mali during the week. And then a couple of uh, other results that were very interesting indeed. The fact that Cape Verde Islands, a little tiny island, group of islands, beat Ghana by two goals to one. Egypt held to a two-all draw by Mozambique, bearing in mind that they had to score in the 98th minute through a Mohamed Salah penalty. Nigeria also held to a one-all draw against Equatorial Guinea, which really does leave this tournament at the moment very evenly balanced because the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, top group A, they have three points. Then Equatorial Guinea and Nigeria both have one. The uh, Cape Verde Islands have three points, while Egypt, Mozambique each have one gone and no points yet. The same in Group C, where Senegal are on top with three points. Cameroon and Guinea have a point. Burkina Faso, three points from there, one win. Algeria and Gola each have a point. And then Mali and Namibia both won their matches against Tunisia and South Africa, respectively. They topped the table with three points each. And in Group F, Morocco have three points, while Congo, DR Congo, and Zambia have won. So lots and lots to play for uh, over the weekend. Let's have a look at your fixtures for you. Coming up tonight, the Cape Verde Islands play Mozambique. In fact, that game's on right now. Seven o'clock tonight, Senegal will play Cameroon. That is a massive game in any man's language. The two West African powerhouses of years gone by, maybe not so much right now, but they've certainly got some of the best players in the world playing in some of the best leagues in the world. They'll play each other this evening, and then Guinea play Gambia at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow sees Algeria play Burkina Faso, while Mauritania play Angola. And then Tunisia and Mali, the two teams that won their opening game in that group, will play each other. A goalless draw or a result draw there, most probably will put those two sides through. And then on Sunday, Morocco play the Democratic Republic of Congo. Zambia play Tanzania. And if you feel like staying awake to watch South Africa against Namibia, well, if South Africa can't beat Namibia on Sunday evening, look, they are going to be going home anyway. But they might as well just climb on the plane and fall for the last game. Because honestly, a country the size of Namibia is with a population uh, most probably 60 million less than South Africa. When you consider there's about 62 million people in South Africa, give or take, obviously the census in this country is not uh, that that good. But there's only 2.5 million people in the whole of Namibia. So if a country with 30, 60, 60 plus million cannot beat Namibia, who have 2.5 million, oh boy, like I say, South Africa, just get on the aeroplane, forfeit your last game and come home. That will obviously be one of the topics of discussion on Monday's review show. And then the other football at the weekend. I know it sounds strange what I'm going to say now, but it is true. Uh, the Premier League are in a winter break. 
What are you talking about, Louis? Well, I can tell you right. They are in a winter break because five games were played last weekend and five games are playing this weekend. So they're calling it a winter break. It's just giving some of the players some time off. I think it's just an excuse to let their teams go and play in the Cup of Nations. So two games tomorrow. Hoppers 2 sees Arsenal take on Crystal Palace. London Derby there. And then at 7.30, Brentford play Nottingham Forest. And then on Sunday, Sheffield United play West Ham at 4 o'clock. Bournemouth play Liverpool at half past six. And on a Monday evening, rather, Brighton take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. The uh, big news of the week is that Jim Ratcliffe has uh, warned Manchester United he would have ended his bid to become a minority owner if it was not sealed before Christmas Day. The British billionaire agreed to buy a 25% stake in the club for about £1 billion on Christmas Eve. But U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filings released uh, this week have revealed that the INEOS chairman's patience had begun to wear thin shortly before an agreement was struck. In the week before Christmas, Ratcliffe's company Trawlers Limited gave Manchester United a deadline of the 25th of December to accept its best and final proposal. It led to an informal meeting of the board of directors on the 22nd of December and a robust discussion regarding the feedback from the offerer. The board representatives noted Ratcliffe's could withdraw the proposal if the board of directors was not prepared to move forward by December 25th. So what do the logs look like in the Premier League? Well, top of the table, oh, it irks me to say this, but I have to because I'm trying to be as impartial as possible. At the top, Liverpool, 20 points, 45, 20 games, 45 points. Manchester City, 20 games, 43 points. Aston Villa, 21 games, 43 points. Arsenal have played 20 games. They have 40 points. They could go up to 43 if they beat Crystal Palace. Spurs will stay on 40, 21 games played. West Ham, 34 points from their 20. Manchester United, 32 points from their 21 games. And Manchester United lost nine games this season already. They've only won 10, lost nine, only two draws. And then bottom of the table, Sheffield United have nine points from their 20 games. Burnley have 12 from their 21. Luton Town have 16 from 20. And Everton have 17 points from their 21 games. Bearing in mind that 10 points were deducted from them, they would have been in 11th or 12th place. Uh, would have uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers 11th. On 28, and Everton would have slotted in behind them above Bournemouth on 27. That is tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Looking forward to another great sporting weekend. We hope you have enjoyed all the interesting stories that we've had for you through the course of the week. We will have more from Monday as we look back at a sporting weekend that promises to be another great one. As always, be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now.